This is the smash hit Joel Bateman, Australia's premier deathmatch wrestler, and you are listening to Wrestling With Entertainment. Hello, 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 and welcome to the show with Wrestling With Entertainment, bringing you the latest exclusive breaking news, previewing and reviewing the latest shows from WWE, AEW, New Japan, everything in between, every Saturday, and interviewing all your favorite wrestlers. Every Wednesday on YouTube and Taskbox, sponsored by Rogue Energy. Use promo code Wrestling with you for 10% off your next purchase. I'm, of course, your host, James J. Alongside Coleco Yachts. Why are popsicles so snobby? Because they have a stick up their butt. And Scooter Dust, who is not here. But it's still a great day for wrestling, because we are wrestling with the smash hit, Joel Bateman. Good, very late evening, my friends. Uh, Thanks so much for having me on, as always. I always enjoy chatting wrestling with you guys. Uh, The time differences are are still getting me. I'm not used to doing uh, ones with the West Coast. I thought it was the middle of the night. Turns out it's only the middle of the night. Um, But no, I'm super excited. Uh, This this should be a lot of fun. (laughs) No, we... I'm okay with doing, like, super late at night. It's, like, when we have to do early in the morning, I'm like, no, that that's my limit. No, nothing early in the morning. Oh, I'm usually no, up, no. so it's nothing new to me. I, some odd reason I'm up late, up late and up early. I don't know what it is with me. Just, uh, insomnia mm-hmm. is what that is. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, I blame the Marine Corps because they just do that shit to you. That, yeah, that'd do it. <laughs> yeah, that, that works, too. Uh, how, how, how have you been, Joel? Um, it's kind of like Groundhog Day at the moment, to be honest with you. So since the last time we've spoke, I think we've only had a couple of shows uh, with Deathmatch Down Under myself. We went into lockdown kind of the end of June, I think it was. Um, and we're just starting to come out of it now. Like uh, we'll be coming out of it within the next four weeks or so. Uh, obviously this will air, hopefully by the time this airs, uh, I'm free as a bird again. Um, but for the moment, yeah, it's just, there's not much going on. It's all just board planning and trying to make sure that um, when we do get let out, we can kind of lead off both as myself as a performer and DMDU as a company can lead off with the best foot forward. Um, but other than that, yeah, it's uh, my baby. Like I said, uh, off air, my wife is incredibly pregnant. Couldn't possibly be more pregnant without actually having the baby. So um, thank you for being flexible kind of around my schedule, knowing that at any time I could go, oh, crap, i got to go. Um, so, yeah, other than that, there's uh, not much going on. And big congratulations as well. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a super exciting time. Uh, I've officially finished my shoot job. Uh, I'm on leave for the next three weeks, which is great. Uh, not like there's anything to do in the middle of the lockdown if I'm not working, but uh, hopefully the baby will get here quick, smart. So I've uh, got something to keep me company for the next three weeks. Right now, just get all the get all the rest you can. True. That's the plan. Trust, trust me. You you will not value sleep. Until, oh, like, I've, uh, like, yeah, I've done it before. <laughs> couple of times. So uh, don't don't get me wrong. Me and coffee uh, get along just fine. <laughs> and uh, what can we find you on social media, merchandise, that all those good stuff? Um, if you like seeing people uh, swear, 
a lot because uh, as I speak to more people from the United States, I'm aware that Australians curse, you know, a thousand percent more. So that's mostly what my social media is, just me swearing really creatively. Uh, you can find me at the smash underscore hit on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Facebook's a dead platform, so I don't really use it except to talk to my mom. Um, and then in terms of merchandise, uh, you can find me on Wrestler Merch, which is the Australian version of the big t-shirt company that we do not speak of uh and you can find me on deathmatch worldwide as well all of my t-shirt designs are up there um or just send me a dm on twitter or instagram if there's something particular i've got on my shirt designs uh physically as well uh and can do like eight by tens and signed stuff and you know worn gear all that kind of stuff and i just like talking to people about professional wrestling so please reach out and have a word Alright, and uh, all those uh, links will be in the description of the video below, both on YouTube and CastBox. Um, so no uh, match down under since the pandemic, so things are locked down, no shows, right? Yeah, uh, I'm actually going to look up when our last show was, because I don't remember. Uh <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, well, it feels like, like, a, like it was a... <laughs> Um, but no, it was, it was relatively recently. Uh, we got to do our juices worth the squeeze heavyweight title tournament, uh, and crown our heavyweight champion and Richie Taylor. Okay. Yeah, there it is. Uh, 10th of July was our last show, not 10th of June. Um, oh. so we had that show in Ballarat, which is, was our first regional show. It's about two and a half hours out of Melbourne, which is the city where we run our events. Uh, it was a really fun show. And then the next week, bang, straight into lockdown. Um, oh, but in wow. that time, we've, uh, so we had to postpone our deathmatch tournament, which was the meant to be the show after. So um, the timing that this airs is actually really poetic. Our deathmatch tournament is rescheduled for the 20th of November. Um, so as you hear this, if you hear it the day it airs in four days' time, uh, we have our deathmatch tournament, the first ever deathmatch tournament in Australia. And the week after that, uh, is peer pressure from dead people where, unfortunately, we have to crown a new heavyweight champion. Um, our current heavyweight champion, Richard Taylor, has announced his retirement. Oh, um, okay. Due, yeah, oh. Due, to, due to injury. Um, we, we, it happens. He, he's been wrestling for almost 20 years, and uh, he, he's kind of at the point now where if he continues to wrestle uh, a full-time schedule, he'll, start, he'll have um, kind of pain issues in later life. Uh, and he's not the youngest bloke as it is, so he, he's doing the right thing by himself and by his family. So he'll have one more match in early 2022 because uh, with restrictions, we can't have a lot of people at the shows. And we are, we're going to push back his farewell to make sure there's enough people there to send him off properly. Uh, so he'll vacate the title. Uh, and we'll be crowning it in a rumble on that show. And then I think the week after, we finish our 2021 at Ballarat. Um, we go back to Ballarat for a fun little show there. So, yeah, uh, we haven't run since we've been locked down in July, but it's just lots of forward planning. Um, I'm super excited for 2022. Uh, we're, we're on the road, like I can tell you, at least in the first six months of 2022. We're off to two different states. So we're going in a state for the first time, which Ooh. will be a lot of fun. Um, right. Touch wood, uh, if all comes together, we'll have our first international wrestler. Uh, join us for a tour. Uh, I can't tell you who yet, but trust me, you'll be excited. Um, it's, it's somewhat very high on the list of people when we go, who do you want to see in DMDU? Their name's always at the tippy top. So we're like, look, if we've got to bring somebody over first, it's got to be this person. CM Punk. Um, 
<laughs> nah, he's been, he's been ever since he came back. He's like he's been every week, and now it's like yo. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm, look, I'm happy to book him, but I'm not happy to pay for him. I don't have that kind of money. All right. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it seems like we got you. Just this is dropping at the exact perfect time. Yeah, exactly. You told you and you told me the day that it was dropping. I was like, well, that works out well, um, because we're going to have the the biggest couple of shows uh, in our company's history. Yeah, not long after this airs, so you can check us out at uh, DM Down Under on Twitter or Deathmatch Down Under on Instagram. Uh, I'd say come down live, but both shows are already sold out like a couple of months in advance, so you'll have to wait for them to air on IWTV. But you can follow along on social media and be a part of it um, as well. Absolutely. Oh. Uh... Now, we're, we are doing a watch-along of a very infamous match of Australian um, history. Uh, can you tell us the last time you've seen this match? Oh, when was the last time I watched this match? It was relatively recently. Uh, I did a watch-along with a buddy of mine by the name of Alex Cologne. Um, because we were told we were just catching up one day. Uh, obviously, the time difference is the same. So, you know, he's getting ready for bed. I've woken up early in the morning, and we're just like, hey, do you want to hang out and just watch wrestling? He's like, yeah, cool. So we were catching up exactly like this. And, and I said, hey, have you ever seen this match? He's like, no, I've never even, like, really heard of it. Which is kind of the thing. Outside of Australian wrestling, no one knows this match exists. Um, and we watched it, and... You know, even by 2021 standards, it still holds up. It's a very, very full-on, very brutal death match. Um, so, yeah, I, so I watched it maybe two or three months ago. But, I mean, this this makes its way into kind of a, my regular rotation. Uh, you can't see me on this camera angle, but I'm front row for this show uh, as a very influential 12-year-old child. Uh, <laughs> By the time uh, you finish watching this match, you will completely understand why the uh, MDU is the way it is and why I am the way I am. <laughs> and we're definitely going to go into that as well. Uh, but we are wrestling with Lobo versus Mad Dog. Bob Wire reigning dump tax death match from September of 2002. And, uh, Correct. No uh, wonder I did not hear this match because I was in boot camp. That makes total sense. I was like, <laughs> how come I never heard this match? Makes sense. I was too busy having somebody put nails in my own arse. <laughs> well, you're going to want to fire your, w- your networks up, get out the DVD, the VHS, your beta maxes, or more accurately, just go into the description of the video below, but on YouTube and CastBox. Uh, click it. It will send you to this match. Do not try to find it on Google, Bing, or even on YouTube, because it is super secret. It is You cannot find it. You can only find this match in the description of the video. We will... Uh, it's in... Uh, it's at private settings. It's... Very, uh, what's the word? Black market-ish. Black market, yes. <laughs> yes. You can call it black market. Essentially, this was only ever released commercially on one videotape. Um, and then outside of that, so it's 
so this was uploaded by a third party that had ripped it off the VHS. Um, but the promotion that ran this match, so this was the crowning of the PCW Hardcore Champion. Uh, these guys had had a feud for about a year. Um, PCW at the time was doing like, a, not, not an ECW tribute act, but definitely ECW inspired. Um, you know, a lot of fire, a lot of thumbtacks, a lot of fire um, in their main events. Uh, and this was kind of the culmination of this feud between Mad Dog, who obviously still wrestles today and is a part of the DMDU roster, and Lobo. Now, first thing, there's two Lobos. This isn't the guy from CZW. Okay. <laughs> Get that. Thank, thank you. Thank you for that. No thank worries. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the clarification. Um, and yeah, and but the thing is, they both wrestled around the same time. They both retired around the same time. So everyone thinks it's one of the same. It's like, wait, do we, they just fly in this random guy from America over constantly? No. Um, so Lobo here uh, wrestled uh, for about 1998 through till yeah 2006 or thereabouts, uh, and was largely a technical wrestler but was also an amazing hardcore and deathmatch wrestler when he did them. Uh, and at this time, you know, Hand on Heart was probably the best in the country uh, at all aspects of wrestling and is mostly known uh, as being one of the founders of PWA Melbourne, which then became uh, PWA Black Label, which is one of the biggest promotions in the country now, even still. So PWA has been around for that long, uh, largely off the back of Lobo. Lobo was a great trainer as well. Uh, and his daughter actually works on the... Uh, the uh, audiovisual team for DMDU as well, so we try and keep it all in the family here. Oh wow, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is dope. But um, sorry, what I was saying—the reason the match is so "quote unquote" black market, PCW is still around now. Um, they're they're still obviously a wrestling promotion here in Melbourne. Uh, they don't do hardcore and deathmatch wrestling. They're a very family-friendly promotion, so they they don't necessarily acknowledge their history. Um. So, but an amazing company. Uh, I've got nothing good things to say about PCW, but this isn't their bread and butter anymore. Uh, and uh, this getting out into the water supply again will kind of confuse the public image of what that company is. And you don't want anyone going to a PCW show expecting an over a barbed wire match uh, right. when that is not their product anymore. But they put out an amazing product and they should be definitely be checked out, but you're not going to see death matches there anytime soon. Oh, kind of like what WWE does with Chris Benoit. Gotcha. Maybe not that bad, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody got murdered in this match. <laughs> Close. No, no, I'm just saying the context. The context. Yeah. That. <laughs> now, you're going to click the video uh, in the description of the below. Open a new tab. Go on uh, another device. Do whatever is your fancy. Um. Go to zero zero zero, uh, and when I count down from three to one, at one plus play. Are you ready? Ready as we'll ever be. Three, two, one. And here we go. Have a little bit of an introduction here. Yeah, I can hear your audio. So Ash Jackson, uh, funnily enough, was actually an amazing wrestler who had retired around about this time as well by the name of Cobra uh, and was uh, super instrumental in junior heavyweight wrestling here in Australia throughout the 90s. So that's why uh, they started Aussie Wrestling Classics. 
So the intro gives you a very quick snapshot of what independent wrestling in Australia looked like in the 90s. Yeah. Kind of like how, kind of like USWA back in Memphis. In a yeah. So, so the big thing with Australian independent wrestling is that we've never had the upper echelon promotion. Uh, Australian wrestling has only been on TV in a couple of different uh, iterations. It's usually pay to play um like community television where you pay for your time slot kind of stuff yeah so yeah it's always just been you know who's the bigger or smaller of the independents um where there's never really been an upper echelon at this time uh september 2002 pcw was the top promotion in australia bar none um the roville community center was kind of like our corrigue and hall um or our ecw arena if you will it was a very special building to a lot of people. This was the last time they ran wrestling there for about six years. Wow. Five or six years? Oh, actually, wow. no. Sorry, I lie. It was about two years. This was the oh, last okay. time PC. This was the last time PCW ran uh, the Royville Community Center. Um, off the back of this match, to be completely honest. So this was a sellout and record crowd of about twelve hundred people there uh, on this night. Yeah, uh, that's a that was a big house. Yeah, uh, for us as a company and in Australia, usually regularly got 600, 700. Uh, so 1200 was a, a big deal. But, um, and I'm sure we'll talk after this match about kind of the ramifications of it. Oh, but yeah. one of the ramifications was we lost the building. Um, and you didn't see wrestling in the Roval Community Center again until Lobo started PWA um, about a year after this um yeah year year and a half after and um then started running the rival community center again the last time they had wrestling i think was maybe 2007 um it's a uh it's a government-run building so as you can imagine not super keen on wrestling no you sense. lost the building because the ramifications of this match they they, they kind of wanted to distance them distance themselves. Yeah, right? I mean, I, I could talk about that now, or I could talk about it after the match. It's up to you. Well, let me just let me phrase it this way. How how important is this match in Australian wrestling history? Incredibly. So, this is now, we're coming up on uh, actually, yeah, we've just had our 19 year anniversary of this. Next year's 20 years. Watch this space. Uh, me as a fan of professional wrestling. So from the angle that we're watching is the hard cam. It's the only commercial, uh, commercially available angle. I'm bottom right corner in the front row. Um, sorry, bottom left corner in the front row. And for the people who are still around now in wrestling, 19 years after the fact, still kind of talk about it a little bit with faded breath. Um, this, uh, retrospectively, isn't looked as super positively. Um, it did, it almost killed, it got a ton of publicity. Not a lot of it was positive at the time. So a lot of people were very, very wary of Deathmatch Wrestling. Uh, I spoke about it a bit when uh, I did my first interview with you guys. Yeah. That Deathmatches weren't necessarily looked uh, on in a positive light, largely because of this match, because it did so much damage. Uh, PCW saw their houses drop from 1,200 to 80 in four weeks. Yeah. So uh, largely because of the amount of press. Uh, what you're seeing now is something that isn't in the video description. This is, yeah, no rope barbed wire, 40,000 rating thumbtacks, Taipei deathmatch. 
So they wanted this was the first time Taipei had ever been done in Australia. It's only been done two or three times ever here. Um, so they wanted to do the glue and the glass in front of the audience instead of coming out with it on their fists. So that's what this is. Uh, took a little bit of time to do. Ooh, that's that's that blood sport shit. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so so my question, I have a question because with with you saying that the deathmatch got negative reviews, because I know Australia as a culture when it comes to violence is it's night and day between like America and Australia. And it's like prime example, y'all had like one mass shooting and the government was like, no, we're just done. It's not even going to be an issue. Uh, do you think that what happened with the mass shooting and the way that the violent, like they just cut the violence at the neck do you think that was kind of like an overreaction into how they perceived wrestling, even though to us, we all know it's scripted, but to the casual guy, they're not thinking that far. No, only because like with the benefit of hindsight, I can tell you exactly why it got reviewed negatively at the time. So, obviously, uh, the bell's about to ring, and there's obviously a bit of a feeling out process. Yeah. Um, so, what, so, essentially, the fallout from this match is the mainstream media got a hold of it. So, all of our local news uh, and our statewide news got a hold of it, and all of our statewide newspapers got a hold of it. So, the back page of the paper on Monday was the, uh, a couple of really iconic shots from the end of this match. Um, so, it got a lot of publicity... Um, but the issue was it was advertised as great family entertainment. The undercard of this show was not hardcore. It was the culmination of a lot of angles. Uh, they ran an invasion angle with a big company in Sydney. Uh, they blew off a feud that had run in the media across the radio and newspapers. Um, so that's why that's one of the reasons why the house was so big, because it was kind of like our WrestleMania. Um, but it was advertised as family entertainment. There were a lot of kids in the building. And Mad Dog came out at the start of the show and said, if anyone is squeamish or if you have kids, please leave before the start of the main event. It's going to be violent. Um, you can see in the shot we're looking at now on the back left, that whole front row is children. Yes. Um, so there, there's a lot of kids in the building. Uh, so the, the kids loved it. The parents were not fucking not, happy. Because uh, that's uh, who that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. That's so, who so essentially that's what happened. Uh, and then there's a like a 60-minute style program here in Australia called Today Tonight. Uh, a, wrestler, uh. a wrestler at the time who didn't wrestle for PCW went on that program to talk about the, the deathmatch and uh, kind of exposed the business in terms of, you know, how some of this stuff is done. Uh, I'm not going to do that, but if you've watched wrestling for more than a couple of years, you understand what I'm talking about. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, so Exposed went out, exposed the business, called it organized barbarism, uh, said that the audience were getting sprayed with blood, which they weren't, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, just really went after them politically and personally. Uh, so that was why the houses dropped. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was a tough time to draw big houses in Melbourne. Really, only up until about 2014, um, did you start to see the big 500 and 600 houses come back? So it did a lot of damage for a long time, more so the fallout and then that kind of snowball effect from the match as opposed to the match itself. If this was held in front of an 18 plus crowd, four or 500 people wouldn't have been a problem. But it was the, the kids being there, 
uh, and then the parents getting pissed off, and then the media getting it, and then it going on TV and getting blown way out of proportion that fucked everything up. So you answered that question. Now I was got to say match placement. It would have. It wouldn't have mattered. It. The kids would have saw it, and the parents would just would have been pissed. Because I feel like if they had to saw this, like, say, mid-match, I think a lot of people probably would have left. I, I, I don't know that for sure, but hypothetically, I think that would have been the So case. the card was main-evented, because the, they said this was a bonus main event. Um, it, it, shit's about oh. to get real, so, so, so this was the bonus main event. The actual main event was a 10-man tag with the invading uh, UWA and the PCW guys. But, oh, 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 and you just see the kids are looking like, what? Yeah, the kids are like, yo. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of the influences for for both Mad Dog and Lobo came from ECW and came from FMW. Um, Obviously, you can't do explosions inside even in 2002, especially not in 2021. Um, So instead of having a time bomb, they had raining thumbtacks. Which was uh, I just damn like you, McCauley and Terry Funk. <laughs> I love the fact that they're wearing jeans and white t-shirts. So everything that happens in this match will show up on them. Yeah, so Lobo's traditional gear was like a blue and black bodysuit, kind of like what Mustafa Ali wears now. Okay. Um, uh-huh. he, he looked like a Power Ranger. Uh, and Mad, oh, Mad Dog usually wrestled in just jeans and a uh, jeans and no t-shirt, uh, or black pants and no t-shirt. Um, oh, so th- this was kind of uh, stock standard for Mad Dog. Mad Dog still wrestles in jeans, uh, and yeah, Lobo did have traditional gear. No, uh, oh, yeah. back body drop. Oh God, how uh, I can see with it. You're in the crowd for this. You're already training, correct? Yeah, so I started training when I was really, really young. So, yeah, I, I was a part of uh, the training school. I hadn't had any matches at this time, but, um, yeah, it was a part of the training school. So I, I knew these guys uh, somewhat personally, uh, more Mad Dog than Lobo. Lobo st- still, even today, has a massive aura around him. Uh, where Matt, Me and Mad Dog have always kind of gotten along. Uh, really well. So, yeah, I, I knew these guys personally going into this. How well, how far into your training was, uh, was you? Oh, uh, I've been part? training for just over a year. Okay. Uh, so, my question is, who took you to the show and during the match? Did they look at you and wait, are you sure you want to do this? Uh, so, <laughs> my best friend uh, at the time, a guy who still wrestles now by the name of Alex Hayes, his mom, Rhonda, was a super fan as well. Um, hang on a sec. Oh. <laughs> um, oh. Was, yeah. Was a super fan as well. So it was her, Alex, and myself. And yeah, we, we knew what we were in for. Um, you know, even though we're trading, me and Alex used to backyard constantly. And, you know, barbed wire and thumbtacks and all that kind of shit. Like, I, I had already found out about Deathmatch Wrestling before this match. This was mm-hmm. the first time I've really seen it live. So this was like your uh, Deathmatch 101 course. Somewhat, yeah. <laughs> like, there, there's been you can less than 10 no-row barbed wires in Australia ever. So, like, they're very few and far between. How much of this match has influenced your own promotion, Deathmatch Down Under? Um, not a great deal, to be honest. 
it influenced me a lot. There you go. Um, like I said, this match holds up even now. They're going full fucking tilt. Yeah. Uh, and it only gets, goes up from here. But um, it influenced me a lot as a wrestler uh, in my formative years. Because, yeah, I, I love hardcore and deathmatch wrestling. I love the spectacle of it all, like we spoke about in my first interview. Um, seeing this live just kind of affirmed everything. Something that they did after the match that I thought was really cool is they cut up the barbed wire. Uh, and gave it to the audience because the big thing oh, wow. was everyone thought it everyone thought it was fake barbed wire and all that kind of stuff. So they actually cut up all the wire and gave it to the audience. And I had that piece of wire for 15 years. Like I only lost it recently in a move. Oh um, wow! Oh yeah. No. And, and look, realistically, I've probably got it around here somewhere. The drama is I've got so much fucking barbed wire in my house. I don't know which is that piece of wire. <laughs> ah, you should have okay. framed that bad boy, man. Fun fact, because I went to what was it? Uh, I went to a TLC match between Seth Rollins and and Baron Corbin, and the guy slid the like. Now you can't even get that shit. You have to like sneak it or like in the yeah. states anyway. So like I had to get the security dude to like, yo, let me get a piece of the table. And like after the match, he kind of like. And when everybody was kind of leaving, he just kind of like, oh, yeah, here you go, bro. So it wasn't even like – I think that's cool that they actually did that, like the show. Like, not only it's a memento, but who would have thunk that, like, this would have been damn near the end of Australian wrestling and literally having that. Oh, God. Oh, God. But having that piece of that barbed wire, especially, you know, as a young kid, you're like, holy shit, I was here at History. Yeah, and uh, uh, like I said, I'm I'm super excited for the 20 year anniversary. Like DMDU will do something um, for the 20 year anniversary of this match. We what we need to do, as I mentioned at the top, uh, we have a really good relationship with PCW, so I've got to kind of make sure whatever we do is cool by them, um, because ultimately it was their baby, it was their footage. Damn. Um, and. I don't want to kind of, you know, if it's history that they want buried, we can do a tribute without directly referring to it. Uh, mm-hmm. If it's something that they're happy to acknowledge 20 years later, then maybe we'll do that. But um, my like, I, my wrestling bucket list in terms of Australia, Lobo is still on it. Um, and I tell his daughter every time I see her, I said, tell your old man, I want him to do one more. Because um, so... that's the real reason you hired <laughs> No, no, no. Rosie's a great photographer, but uh, yeah, joke, like, it, it's there. It, it's something I, uh, I, I've knocked off most of the people on my bucket list. I actually think he's probably the last one. Um, who could still feasibly do it. There's another wrestler uh, named Spike Steele, uh, who I would also like to wrestle, but I believe his arm's kind of in a condition that he wouldn't be able to, even if he wanted to. Um, but Lobo can be convinced. Um, so I've, I, I tell him, and I've told him to his face, because he comes to our shows as well. Uh, I said, you know, I, so my goal is kind of to redo this match in some form for the 20th anniversary probably a six-man tag uh of some description uh of like kind of the new generation of deathmatch guys versus these two uh and a player to be named later so right yeah so i do have a question because you said that pcw kind of like buried it and and don't want to acknowledge it my thing is is like oh yeah that yeah yeah 
why I get why they would not like want to do it just to try to kind of separate it. But usually, like, I, and this is just American culture. Like, American culture is more like atonement, right? Like, acknowledge that it happened, and just like, yes, this happened. This is no longer what we are, and usually that second chance kind of like leapfrogs into you know being cheered for. Prime example is like, and the only reason I could think of this is like Mike Vick. He fought dogs, and they were kind of mad at him, and then he took atonement for it, and now he got a second chance. I'm thinking, does the Australian culture like deal with that atonement that in that in that kind of a way, or is it? just something where PCW just like, we don't even want to risk that or at all. There's no benefit for PCW at this stage. They're a really good family friendly, uh, you know, pro wrestling promotion. They're incredibly professional. Uh, they have a lot of kids at their shows. You, they can acknowledge it, but it's almost like, what's the point? Like, there's nothing really for them to gain by acknowledging. And, like, they do acknowledge this match. Like, when Mad Dog wrestles PCW, you know, sparingly, uh, he does, he still works for them now. Um, but, you know, like, they're not going to run this match back. They're not going to be doing death matches anytime soon. Like... They can acknowledge it, but Lobo's not a part of PCW anymore. Uh, Mad Dog's there, you know, part-time at best. Like, you maybe do two or three shows a year. Um, like, it's it's just... It's, it's not a part of their history that's worth acknowledging because it's not something that they're ever, ever going to revisit in terms of, like, artistically. Like, they're not yeah. going to turn back into a hardcore promotion again. Right. Uh, and, and Mad Dog and, and Lobo, like, aren't stars there anymore. Uh, they've got their own, you know, stars who have, have built their star power on merit and technical wrestling, um, not death matches. So there's no point in them kind of going, hey, this happened. Well, if you want to see it, it's not anywhere to be seen. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, right. So right. that's kind of why yeah. we, we've picked up the death match mantle. And regardless of if it happened with EMDU or not, um, a big part of this company is kind of like acknowledging the quote-unquote bloody history of Australian wrestling. Um, because there are people like Mad Dog who have been doing death matches for 20 years and internationally are only now kind of starting to get some recognition um, because we are so isolated. Mm, that, make, that, make, that makes total sense. Hi. Now, I, I just would like to understand, because like me, this is... Personally, like, this is me going in hot. So I see all of this, and I'm like, yo, this is crazy. Especially as he, like, gets swung, and it looks like a crash test dummy just flying across the thing. That um, hands down is, like, the best ring post bump I have ever seen in my entire life. I was life. just going to say that myself. <laughs> it's my favorite part of this match. And, like, you can't hear it because we're talking over it. I urge you to go back and watch that ring post bump with no other audio. It sounds like a gun goes off. Um, yeah. yeah, that is like the best ring post bump in the history of wrestling, hands down. Yeah, he sold the hell out yeah. of that. Like, Ask a question. It's almost like a toddler got thrown out. Uh, just <laughs> <laughs> talk about the struggle with PCW having to rebuild that image for those who don't really know the whole story of it. Because I think I, I, you said it, it was a long haul and, and just – Talk about that long haul that they had to go through just to even get 
back in good graces with the general public of Australia. Yeah, big time. So, um, off topic, what's about to happen is Lobo's dad actually jumps the barricade uh, to, to check on Lobo. Um, legitimately, so like the match goes off the rails for, for a hot second, uh, in a second. But there he is. Oh, there he is. He's like, Come on, we're going to Ka- well, y'all ain't got Kaiser, but we going to somewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, they they did, they started to rebuild. Um, they ran a couple of it, it went the hardcore aspect didn't really go away, uh, but it was kind of dialed down a little bit. They um, they continued like Mad Dog was the hardcore champion. I'm pretty sure he was the only hardcore champion. Uh, it all built to an angle at Carnage too, um, which was a they called it a deathmatch tournament. It was more of a hardcore tournament. Um, Lobo actually turned heel not long after this, and him and Mad Dog were both massive baby faces at the time. Mad Dog was a heel who just got cheered because he was out of his mind. But um, they did some really amazing storytelling and essentially took the four biggest baby faces. Uh, so it was Mad Dog, Lobo, I think, uh, the Enforcer, and Rave, I think, was the fourth member of the Elite. Uh, and they did an angle called the Elite, and it was really, really cool and super groundbreaking, kind of like the NWO, um, or more akin to the main event Mafia. Okay. So, you know, years before that was a thing. Okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they, they did that and it all built to a big tournament uh, where they started to create new stars. And then what happened is a lot of the talent left. PWA started. Uh, Lobo bought a company called ACW uh, and started PWA. So they immediately became competition to PCW. Uh, and we kind of had our own quote-unquote Monday Night Wars um, where PWA continued to run this building, the Roville Community Center. And then maybe, geez, not even a mile down the road, uh, PCW had a building called the Polish House. Uh, and PWA was very no-frills, house lights, good professional wrestling. Uh, and PCW was very much higher production, a lot more over-the-top gimmicks, entertainment, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, and it did split the audience, admittedly. Like, the, the houses both kind of settled it around that 300 mark, uh, as, as opposed to, uh, obviously, all 700 coming to see one promotion. But, yeah, that, that was kind of the history. And then that continued on until I think PWA started to franchise out. So there was PWA in Adelaide, Canberra, uh, I don't think PWA Adelaide ever had a show, but there was PWA Canberra, PWA Sydney, PWA Queensland, PWA Melbourne. Uh, and PWA Adelaide got advertised, but never happened. There's the raining thumbtacks. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I see that. And the yeah. lights went out. Holy. Uh, well, the, bu- the, bu- the bucket gets in the way of the light. <laughs> oh, man. All I know is that ref has like lazily counted, like I am not trying to get no splitters with the taxi. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, well, and um, continue. then PWA Melbourne shut their doors, I believe, in two thousand and six. But there were other kind of PWA uh, promotions around to to continue on that legacy, uh, and a lot of the talent that came through PWA. 
you know, were the top guys here in Australia. Like Slex was a, a massive part of PWA uh, in, in their iteration. He's obviously now signed to Ring of Honor. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of the top Melbourne talent, guys like Mike Burr and, you know, Mad Dog was the uh, final PWA champion. So, and is still obviously going now. And is in pretty rarefied air in terms of like in running ring experience in this country. There's not a lot of guys who've been doing it longer than him at this point. So, yeah, it, it, that was kind of the um, the story of Melbourne wrestling through the 2000s, and then PCW uh, stayed around till about 2010, and then they closed. Um, and then there was a period for um, that was a pile driver on the broken glass they used on the oh, yeah. Oh yeah. I feel his whole his, his jeans are just ripped. Yeah, I'm surprised his ass ain't bleeding. Like, yeah, literally. <laughs> um, there was a period in Melbourne where there was no top indie, and it was just a lot of very small independent companies, um, drawing fuck all people, not really putting on great quality shows. That was kind of through like 2009, 2010, 2011. PCW came back in 2013, but MCW had kind of started doing their thing. MCW slash ACW uh, started doing their thing in about 2010. And obviously, even now, uh, uh, probably the, you know, pound for pound best independent in the country. They constantly draw five, 600 people um, and, you know, have that entertainment style of wrestling. And that's people like Kellyanne and Adam Brooks and, you know, slacks like the the Australians now that are kind of starting to make their name in America. That's where uh, they all wrestle here in Australia. Now, is it kind of crazy watching this match back, knowing that Nato will work for your promotion one day? Um, it was crazy when I wrestled him for the first time. That was the thing that blew me away. Uh, I'm trying to remember when I wrestled him for the first time. I think it might have been around 2011. Um, I don't think we'd wrestled before that. Yeah, I think the first time we ever had a match was a death match. Um, at a company I was booking because I wanted to do a death match. I wanted to do a death match with Mando. So, of course, I'm going to book one. Um, Agenda. So, that, that, was, that was kind of surreal. Um, but now, like, I consider him one of my closest friends. Uh, we're actually not that far apart in age, so you know, we, we get along as P is not kind of as him as the veteran of me as a younger guy. Because, again, like, you know, he started 99, so he's a couple of years in at this point. I, I started in 2001, so like I said, with that rarefied air, there, there's not a lot of people from this era who are still actively wrestling. Um, you can count them on one hand. Uh, actually, I think on this show, I think it's just Mad Dog who's still going. I'd have to go back and check the the full card, but oh, and crack and Cracker Jack still wrestles as well, uh, very very sporadically. But yeah, it, it was super surreal the first time I got to wrestle Mad Dog, and like you know, being able to work with him now uh, in a deathmatch company and get to kind of acknowledge his legacy. Uh, he's the most humble laid-back guy you'll ever meet in your life uh, and is incredibly off the grid. He doesn't do social media. Uh, he's only just upgraded from a flip phone. Oh, uh, congratulations. <laughs> well, Bob, yeah. Welcome to the 21st century. Yeah. <laughs> for real, so, for real, for real. He's, uh, he's not someone you get a hold of unless he wants to be gotten a hold of. 
Um, so yeah, it, it's super cool now to kind of be able to acknowledge his legacy uh, and what he's done. You know, because again, for a really long time, this kind of stuff wasn't really celebrated. It was like, oh yeah, it happened. Cool. All right. Mad Dog's still a super cool technical wrestler and, you know, good at hardcore and whatnot. But, you know, I, I like to talk about this match and make this match known, not only for what it did for me, you know, my career and, and what inspired me, but obviously, you know, at this time, this was the biggest house in Australian wrestling for a hundred percent, you know, local show um for a good 10 years and we didn't see this house again for 10 years after oh my god and if you don't see this dude is about to climb the ladder with him attached to the barbed wire oh oh Oh, god now i need to ask because this is 12 year old you in the audience looking around do you remember any of the faces, like the reactions of the parents or anybody? Just like as you're, because it's crazy when you see like one person's excitement is another person's torture, right? Like if there's that juxtaposition. So and the thing is, ninety nine percent of the people who are in the building were loving this. There was no one who was like, "This is fucked up" or anything like that. Because they'd done a good job on the night kind of explaining what it was going to be. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So basically the, the sorry, minority... Sorry, I, the I, I stopped because that was the finish. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it was more once the media got a hold of it and the, that snowball started gathering momentum, it was cool to shit on this. Uh, it, it was cool to kind of bury it. Um, so that that's why it kind of got painted with that brush uh, because the people who were speaking out negatively about it weren't a part of the company. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they weren't booked there. So that's uh, kind of where that's They don't where... even go here. Yeah, they exactly. don't even go there. Yeah. They just have a lot of fear. Sour grapes, uh, yeah. Yeah, so th- that's kind of where it all came from. In that sense, so you could say it was like the minority vocal. Yeah, the minority they, they just being the building. They just saw that it was getting shit and went, "Oh, I don't like this company," uh, because they weren't the most popular company at the time. Uh, because they uh, bought a company named I- they bought out a company called ICW, uh, uh-huh. and from there they'd um, created PCW. So there were other re- independents uh, that were around the uh, people wrestled for that weren't a fan of PCW uh, and they kind of saw the opportunity to be uh, assholes about it and be shitty about, about, it. about it. Yeah. Got it. That, that makes sense. So essentially it wasn't even the people in the building that were like, what the hell? Because it, you would think if you're a parent, why letting your kid watch this, you're just going to, okay, we're just going to dip. So it wouldn't, you know, that train of thought I, I, I would think, would be in the parents' head. So it had to have been, like, just what you were just saying, the majority of, like, people who didn't even, who, A, probably never even saw the match, and, B, just saw clips. Like, they just took a clip. Basically, today, they took a clip and just ran with it. And So this was basically what YouTube is now. People taking clips and just running with it instead of seeing the whole content. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, yes, like probably wouldn't advertise it as great family entertainment. Um, yeah. And again, this is 2002. This is like, you know, we could get CZW here. You had to tape trade for it. This is pre-DVD. Um, you know, like YouTube's definitely not a thing. Fucking Kazan's mm-hmm. barely a thing. You know, oh, Napster. Yeah. Right. So they, they, it wasn't widely circulated like the only way you really saw this is either you were there or you bought the videotape um and it, that's why because it happened in that kind of era where it, and you know pcw like i said haven't uploaded it to their streaming service it isn't available publicly so it's got kind of that mystique around it of oh this this horrible thing that happened even by 2021 deathmatch standards it still holds up as a really fucking good deathmatch it's one of the better no row barbed wire matches that i've ever seen uh i have rose tinted glasses i was there but when i show it to obviously you know people like yourself or people like mm-hmm. alex alone you know they say it's one of the better no row barbed wire matches they've ever seen uh so it still holds up in terms of its brutality and its violence Oh, yeah. So for the time, you can imagine, because the only no rope barbed wire matches a lot of people had seen at that point is the Mick Foley-Terry Funk match. And the Mick Foley-Terry Funk, yep. Yeah. And Terry Funk-Sabu. Yep. Yeah. Were kind of the only two. So you put it up against those two matches, and it, it holds up as well. So those matches were hard to find here at the time. Like, you had to tape trade like son of a bitch to get either of those shows at the time. Um, because ECW didn't air on pay-per-view here. No. So it, it, that's kind of, of why it, it's just got this mistake around it, even still 20 years on, uh, and why I think everyone went, this is organized barbarism, this is a professional wrestling, this is super fucked up. No, it's just a really good death match. But <laughs> if it's not something you've been exposed to, uh, kind of in, in any circumstance, uh, I can understand why it got that feedback. Now, that's kind of funny to me because I would think, like, shit from then would kind of get a pass because, like, and and I always put it, like, with movies or sports, right? Like, hits, they still show hits that happen in the NFL in the 80s, even though it was worse than what it is today. Or, like, like a movie like Tropic Thunder, back when it got released back then, it wouldn't fly today. But the fact that it just happened to be at the right place at the right time, that it was able to slide and to me, after watching this, I, I can't because this is my first time even seeing it. To me, it's no different than any ECW match. It it's in its brutality wise, it's no different than any ECW match that I saw at like twelve and fifteen. Now, like some of the spots are like, what the hell? And that, but that's because they actually sold the brutality of it, and that's part of the wrestling. If especially if you know you're a wrestling fan, it. You, you would know you would sell the story. It's about the little things. The fact that they hate each other so much that they are willing to do these things to each other to prove that point that I don't like you. So yeah. to me, it just, it, it blows my mind that this almost ended a whole nation's wrestling life. <laughs> you kind of <laughs> answered your own, your own question. Um, Everyone underestimates how isolated Australia is when it comes to pro wrestling. So we had our heyday in the 70s. Uh, mm-hmm. Jim Barnett, who was one of the Crockett's office guys, had a yep. territory here yep. also called World Championship Wrestling. And it was a combination uh... of local guys, 
uh, a handful of people from New Zealand and Japan, and then guys from the US. So, like, Ric Flair would come over occasionally. But, like, the top guys here were, like, Purple Haze, Mark Lewin, King Curtis, uh, that kind of stuff. Got so, it. like, your Memphis-style brawlers were fucking main eventers here, and anyone over the age of 50 will rant and rave about it until they're blue in the face. Uh, anytime, anytime someone who I work with in my shoot job finds out I'm a wrestler, it's always Mario Milano, who was the Italian guy, Spiros Arion, who was the Greek guy, Ronnie Miller was the Australian babyface, and then it's King Curtis, or uh, King Curtis and Purple Haze Mark Lewin. Uh, okay. So that came off TV, and I think '74. Uh, right. I'm actually in my spare time that I have none of, um, trying to write like a little bit of a, a documented history on. Australian wrestling so people can get an idea of what we we had before kind of the internet um when it came off tv in 74 it was just the independence but we stopped kind of having like lots of internationals come over um like occasionally you'd get like there's photos from like 83 of Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody wrestling at the front of a target at a metropolitan shopping center right yeah. So like, then... it'd just be random paid shows, and it's like, oh, Brody's on his way back from Japan. Fuck it, he can come to Australia. So Brody did a tour here. There's no footage that exists of Brody wrestling in Australia, but he wrestled here. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And same, yeah. same with Hanson and, and people like that. So that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Because like, in it's like hella underground. Yeah, like in 2021, we're a 15 hour flight from LA. We're a 10 hour flight from Tokyo. Right. Um, at the time, in the 90s, we're three flights from London. We're in the middle of fucking nowhere. Oh, like, yeah. Hawaii is halfway. To give you that, an idea. You that makes I mean? sense. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> so we're in the middle of fucking nowhere. Um, so, and it's such a long flight, but because we don't have that upper echelon wrestling promotion, there's no money here. So there was no, there was nothing for you know people going to territories and stuff. Why the fuck would you go to Australia where there's no TV deal and there's no money? Uh, and the thing with Australia, just as it's laid out as a country, because it started all off with penal colonies, is all our major cities are really far apart. Uh, Calico, where do you live? Oh, San, he lives in uh, San Diego. San Diego, San Diego. Okay, San, San Diego, Diego to San Diego. LA. Uh, San Diego to LA is like two hours. Yeah, so two I'm, hours I'm betting you it's what, way yeah. more than that. Yeah, and then Anaheim's what? An hour south of LA, yeah? Uh, yeah, and I'm yeah. not even an hour, like 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, okay, depending cool. on traffic. So your nearest... Yeah, and then you've got Tijuana, what? An hour, two hours south? Mm, 30 minutes from I was going to say, you Diego. can probably see it if you look at the fucking front door. But, Pretty much. I could spit, uh, on, I could spit on it. If, yeah, if I really want. Right, so <laughs> Melbourne, where I live, the next major city is Sydney, which is a 10-hour drive north, or Adelaide, oh, which is a 10-hour drive west. Holy shit. Okay. Otherwise, it's a shitload of small towns. Oh, so that's like going from Dago to San Francisco. Yeah. Because that's like a nine-hour, ten-hour drive. Yeah, but there's shit to do in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. You have the the best wine regions in the world in between those two places. I I mean, there's no good pea soup I I wanted to go to the Napa Valley, but, but... yeah, there's fucking nothing in between. So having a national territory here isn't practical because if you're hitting these towns, you know, once every two weeks, it's like the mileage you're putting on cars. So it's about 600 miles, give or take. Uh, it's about a thousand kilometers and I can't be fucked doing the math. But yeah, it like 
so to have a national company logistically is not practical. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah, you because can't, you can't do you those. can't have a, a a California territory where you could kind of hit you know San Diego, uh, Sacramento, fucking and LA and, and kind of bash all of these out and have a weekly loop. That's not a got thing. it. That makes sense because yeah. I, like. I'm from the because I live in San Diego, but I'm originally from the south, so I kind of get where you're coming from. Because USWA used to run their shit in Memphis, right? But they yeah. would hit like Jackson, Birmingham, because it's all within the area, and they could even go to Texas because it wasn't that far off. It was far off, but it wasn't too far off, like where you were saying logistically, it made more sense. So yeah, yeah. I get I get what you're saying. So essentially, like the only way you're going there as a wrestler back then is if you really loved wrestling. So that kind of gives or to Stan if a promoter Hansen... contacted you and wanted to pay you fucking uh, shitload of money to come in. But... but I feel like Bruiser Brody would have done it A because he's the type of dude if he took a L and he took a L, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he took a L in, in Australia because no one would, would know about it. I believe it was a tag match and I believe they went to a DQ. Because he, because he was the type of dude that would be like, I can't be like he had to look strong at all times. But to give you an idea, like I don't believe there was, I think maybe we had WWF on TV, but like we don't have the same cable channels as you, so we're not getting the NWA, we're not getting right. USWA or UWF or WWF or fucking Primetime or Championship Wrestling from Hollywood or anything like that. We didn't get wrestling hit. The, unless you were a diehard holdover fan from the 70s and you had to order Pro Wrestling Illustrated by mail order from the States. Wow. That's that's going way back. Do you know what I mean? Like That's, that's dedication. That, that's yeah, what the that's hell that is. How, but that's how isolated we were. So what happened is because we didn't have a territory, you know, in the traditional sense during the time of the territories, um, like so, certain things happened, like, for example... Uh, WrestleMania 5 aired on free-to-air TV here. It was either 5 or 6. Which one had the tournament? 5, right? Uh, 4. 4, four, four was the four. tournament. Yep. Sorry. 4 aired on TV live here. Uh, not live. It aired on tape delay like three weeks later, but it just aired on free-to-air TV. Um, but all these Australian wrestlers just stayed in their own bubble and it kind of mutated as its own thing. Based off whatever we could get from the U.S., or from Japan or whatever, um, through the 80s and through the 90s. All you really did was tape trade. Uh, in the 90s, obviously, we had the Attitude Era and the big wrestling boom. But even then, like, you had to go to a video store and rent all the pay-per-views. We yeah. didn't get any TV. Um, oh, sorry, I lie. So Nitro used to air at 2 a.m. on a Wednesday oh, wow. on cable. Uh, sorry, t yeah, 10 p.m. Tuesday. So, ah, yeah. So it, it had on about 12-hour tape delay on cable here. But see, here we had three cable companies. And WWF was fucking... You, you didn't get Raw or SmackDown. We got superstars on like a three-month tape delay on free-to-air TV once a month. Wow. So if you're a fan of wrestling, you either had to have cable and like... Uh, what we call G-code, what you guys would call DVR, uh, to re tape, tape record in the middle of the fucking night to watch TV, to watch these shows, or uh, and Nitro was cut down too, it was only an hour, or you had to go and rent all the pay-per-views. 
that come out three months after the fact because we're on the other side of the fucking world and I came here by a boat. So, man, the struggle was real. Yeah, right. So, any of the any of the wrestlers who got like popular here in Australia during like the eighties and nineties fucking went to America. So, they're, they're, the guys who were responsible for a lot of training here, uh, these names mean nothing to you guys, but Balkan, TNT, Mark Mercedes, all went and trained with, like, the Malenkos. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they went to the US, learned how to work, and then kind of came back here. Yeah. But then they came back here, and they're not working anyone who knows how it works. They're all just working off the back of this mutated system. Uh, and this kind of inbred style, you know, down to down to down to down. You're only going to become as good as the best guy in that area. But the best guy in that area hasn't wrestled anyone, you know, who's wrestled on TV or main evented pay-per-views or anything like that. We're all just fucking here. So it wasn't until, like, I think the first Americans who came out here that were, like, flown out here in the quote-unquote modern era, like 2001, Steve Carino and C.W. Anderson were bought out for a random show in Queensland. And I remember seeing the ads on TV going, hey, that looks kind of like wrestling. And they used the clips from Hardcore Heaven 2000 because that was one of the three commercial ECW releases that we got on DVD. Um, I've actually got a copy a of it one. over there. Yeah, I've got a copy of it off, off camera. I realize this is an audio medium, so that doesn't help. But, <laughs> yeah, be glad, um, you, be glad you didn't get the one where like they swore Francine took her shirt off and it didn't never happen, but okay. <laughs> no, we got the one uh, off topic, the Hardcore Heaven 2000 tape. The raw footage had a glitch. Uh, oh, sorry, the tape rip had a glitch where you didn't see the finish to Tajiri and Steve Carino. Did you guys have that? No, not that I know of. See, but the I thing know is, I, I say go back. I know I snuck it. it. They've, I fixed, they've fixed it on the network. So yeah, I, yeah, I snuck and watched that one time, and my parents got mad at me because I had ordered the pay-per-view without their permission. I'm, I might put that question on Twitter a little bit later because I'm interested to see if it was just here in Australia, but there was a glitch. So you never saw the finish at Tajiri Steve Carino. You laid him on the table and then the camera flashed and then Tajiri had won. So there was just speculation over what the fuck happens. Like, did he stab him? Or, like, we didn't know. Um, which was weird as shit. But Carino and CW came out here for just a random independent show in Queensland. Uh, I think Carino was NWA champion at the time. But it wasn't until like 2004, 2005, where we started to see somewhat regular talent come over. And it was mostly Steve Carino. Like Carino was the only American who'd come over for ages and just do tours here. Um, which is one of the reasons why he's my favorite wrestler. Like I, that kind of got cemented. But it was about that same time where talent were going to the U.S., training and coming back so carlo cannon uh who runs uh, a training school here uh he runs this vicious pursuit here in melbourne went and trained with lance storm he was in the first class at lance storms but had started at pcw so he he learned his basics here went over to lance's got showed how it actually fucking works and then came back here and went right we're doing it all wrong and then that started to spread out. And then more people were going overseas, doing excursions, and then coming back uh, with the, this kind of corrected, more modern mentality, combined with people like Raven and Carino and El Snow and like a lot of ECW guys were coming over, uh, old school ECW guys, and doing tours and seminars and stuff. That right. was when it started to come together. But that's how isolated we were. WWE, like WCW toured here once. 
uh, in 2000, like it was like the last successful WCW shows. Mm-hmm. Um, if yeah. you've read the death of WCW, they talk about it, but apparently right. they fucked up the deal, so they still didn't make any money, even though like four shows sold out. Um, WWE didn't come here for like 20 years. Yeah, that's weird that they don't. Like, it's especially so considering. Far away. Well, it's far away, but considering that they have recently been harvesting Australian wrestling talent like crazy, you would think that they would like. But that's what I wouldn't say make a conscious we, effort to do it once a year at least. Yeah, because we didn't have TV, like we didn't have a, a televised wrestling product like Japan, Mexico, the United Kingdom. If you wanted to watch, you know, wrestling from those countries in the early to mid two thousands, it was relatively easy to get your hands on. Uh, say the same way, like if you lived on the west coast and you wanted to watch ROH, like it's a pain in the ass, but it could be done. Yeah, um, right here non-existent we didn't have international distribution like we're not growing up like in japan people who grow up who want to be japanese wrestlers are watching japanese wrestling yeah new japan yeah in the uk if you're growing up to be a wrestler in the uk you're watching world of sport you know triple a and cnll have been around for about a thousand years combined uh, in mexico in australia we're watching american wrestling because we don't have a national product or a TV deal or anything like that. So that's like all of these things combined. That's just how isolated we were. Um, there wasn't a scene here. Like anyone who got picked up by the WWE up until the last five or six years, we're getting picked up off moving to the U S uh, okay. so they had you know to take I mean? the risk. Like Tony yeah. Storm's an Australian, but was living in the UK for four years before she got signed. Yeah, because she's uh, right. totally British strong style. Yeah, it, yeah. It, uh, yeah. Shane Thorne and uh, Nick Miller. Uh, Nick TM Miller. Team sixty one. Yep. They lived in Japan for two years. They That's were right. wrestling Noah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? No one was getting picked up until super fucking recently, off the back of what they were doing here in Australia. Like Rhea Ripley was the first. Rhea Ripley so was the first one. So she's uh, the first Australian to like literally get plucked from because like. I think of her. I think of Bronson Reed, mm-hmm. uh, the Indy Hartwell. Like the, that crop of people are literally just like the first people that are actually going. WWE's going. Hey, you're in Australia. Come here, Vice. Like Tony Storm, and the other was you're saying they had to actually literally go branch out of Australia, leave the country. Yeah, because like a, for the, the iconic all any all anyone knew of Australian wrestlers was the Bushwhackers who aren't fucking Australian, and yeah. Mario Day, who was a mid-carder in WCW. That was it. Right. Do you know what I mean? So right. it was the thing with WWE, what they realized is there's a super lucrative market here because we are so starved for wrestling. They just have to show up and it sells out. Like So they, I think their last tour here was 82, and then they came here in 2002 for a show called Global Warming. Um, yes, I remember that show, Global Warming. Yeah. It's it's uh it's on the network now. Yep, sixty seven thousand people or something fucking stupid like that, like sold out like the second biggest stadium in the country. Wait, um, didn't they do? Didn't they just recently do like a? a, a sorry to interrupt, but I thought they did something recently. The Undertaker Triple. Yeah, Super Showdown. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they did Undertaker Triple H for the last time and then ran that match back six more times. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and that, that drew 67-odd thousand as well. The difference is uh, 
Marvel Stadium where they had global warming, that's they still hold the attendance record there. Uh, the MCG oh, yeah. where they did Super Showdown holds 110,000. Uh, so it wasn't full and is open air where the other one is uh, close, close to the roof. So then they would come here once a year, usually straight after WrestleMania. Um, one brand would go into Europe and one brand would come to Australia. Uh, and they'd sell out every fucking time. They'd just turn up, cool, 15,000, 15,000, 15,000, 15,000. It's a cash grab. Uh, and then they went, hey, I wonder if we, if we bring out NXT, what will happen? Uh, and they actually did an NXT tour here. 10,000, 10,000, 10,000, 10,000. Oh, God. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. yeah uh, it was uh, Wesley and Blake. So, Buddy Murphy was tag champion. Oh, uh, yeah. When they were uh, with the Lexa Blicks. Yeah, Wasn't yeah. that Nakamura and Samoa during the Nakamura Samoa Joe? Nakas and Joe in a cage happened here. Yeah. Yeah. Nakamura Joe. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Which was really funny because the cage almost fell down. But that's besides the point. And I think uh, they were like airing that shit. Yeah, because they, they added on delay. Yeah, yeah, they they were airing that in the show in Japan. So yeah, they, they this was when NXT was like, yeah, so not too long around that itself. time, that 2016, 2017, where they started offering tryouts, and it was those tryouts like uh, Rhea Ripley. They went, we like you. Come back when you're 18. Iconics. Um, Iconics. Yeah. The Iconics, I like think. Like Billy Kay. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if they got picked up off one of those tryouts or if, because I, I know they both spent time in the U.S. as well. I think they got picked off off one of those tryouts. Uh, so Bronson, I, yeah. Bronson got picked up from there. Indy got picked up from there. Um, yep. Yeah, so that was where that crop came from. But that's five years ago. I think that's you know fucking I mean? crazy. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fucking crazy that that group which is like a hella talented group is like, even though in my mind, I'm like, all oh, these Australian wrestlers are in WWE. And that's the first group that actually like did it Came off the Australia. work of Australia. Yeah. yeah. And then even Bronson, like is kind of the exception of the rule. Like Indy had done a couple of small tours to the U S I don't think Rhea had done an overseas. Oh, Rhea had gone and wrestled in Japan a little bit. But Bronson was with Noah for like two years. And, you know, I don't necessarily think he was signed as an Australian. He was crushing it at PWG. Do you know what I mean? Like, he was yeah. the top of the top indie uh, at the time. So oh, let... <laughs> PWG, don't get me started. I feel like I have to cut my right arm just to get tickets to Bola. Yeah. So that, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> Look, they're making money. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that kind of gives you a, a, a bit of an over... Fuck, you know, went on a 20-minute rant. But... <laughs> Uh, it gives you an idea of just how isolated we are here in Australia. Even now, like with streaming services, unless you're on something like IWTV, which we are, thank goodness, um, no one's seeking out what's going on in Australia. Minus a couple of big companies like PWA and MCW, um, no one's really looking at what we're doing. So what happens is a lot of the top talent here feel obligated to go overseas to continue their wrestling journeys and to attempt to get signed because, you know, as we've discussed with a couple of notable exceptions, it's really, really difficult to get signed just out of the Australian Indies. Right. So we're in a super unique time now because, you know, for six months, Australia was the only place that was putting out uh, wrestling in front of live crowds. Yeah. Kind of, you know, uh, you guys had the pandemic era. We could still have fans. 
kind of yeah. at, the start of, at the start of this year. Um, so, so that kind of gave us a bit of a shot in the arm and, you know, like lightning in a bottle. And I think largely we capitalized on that. Um, but now, you know, it's reversed where the rest of the world's kind of back to live wrestling with crowds. And at least where I live on the East coast, you know, we're still a month away from being able to put shows on, but it's, um, it's super interesting time. Australia's yeah, it's one of those territories that people just don't really think about. Uh, it's like when people read McFoley's book and realize there's an entire territory in Africa. Um, that oh yeah. Forget about. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's the same thing with here. Like, hey, there's actually a territory in Australia. Oh, wow, there's actually good wrestlers in Australia. Holy shit, how do I watch that? Oh, it's impossible. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, the joys of, of wrestling. And that's why now, you know, 19 years in, I'm sitting here going, the only thing, you know, I can't put a pause on is time. Um, you know, the the I'm going to get older regardless of if I take a chance with a deathmatch company and be the wrestler that I've wanted to be for the last 20 years or if I continue to just kind of you know, do my own thing, time's going to pass me by anyway, so why not? And that's kind of where the MDU came from, me kind of leaning full on the death matches and watch this space. We have a crazy amount of stuff planned for 2022 that I will tell you about off air. But uh, I, I I gave you a scoop where we haven't announced the Rumble yet, so I'm glad that by the time this airs, we'll announce that we're doing a Rumble for the title. Um, but we haven't announced that, so you've got that scoop. Uh, but I'll give you another scoop off. I'll give you I'll give you another Hell scoop yeah. off air that, I right. that I cannot give you on air because it's only like 80% confirmed. Oh, we'll take it. Which yeah. makes me want that. That's crazy because everything you're saying makes sense because we interviewed Savannah Sunimers and everything that you're saying, it literally circled. Like when you're talking and you're speaking, I'm like, yo, that is literally what Savannah was saying, especially with women's wrestling because she was literally like, she's a, a, a freaking legend down there. She was the only female wrestler in Adelaide for a really long time. Right. Um, and I absolutely, I, I love Savannah. She's one of my favorite people. I don't get to catch up with her enough. Um, but she carried the torch in South Australia for almost a decade. You know what I mean? And then like a lot of the people that are coming now are because they used to go to RCW shows and watch Savannah and go, holy shit, you know, someone can do it here. You could be that wrestler. Um and, and the fact that she's still going, you know, she's been around. She'd be coming up on 15 years now. Yeah, just about. Yeah, just about. Is uh, a testament to her work as well. Now, I do have one question because you, we were talking about how WWE is like now, like starting to scoop the talent. Now, WWE in, in the States, at least anyway, they have another major deal uh, company with AEW. Do you see, because AEW, the way that you were saying PCW, and ACW were, that's kind of like how WWE and AEW is now, not on the grandest of scale, but more like in the devil of the details. Uh, to me, do you see any of those people? Because I feel like AEW would be more in tune with Australian wrestlers, considering that Kenny Omega, the Bucks, they, they're more Japan, which Japan is not that far from Australia, so they kind of keep their ears to the ground as far as the talent. So how is that transpiring with AEW possibly picking up any of the talent from Australia? Okay, so without speaking out of turn, because I know certain things, i got to think about how I word this without getting in trouble for people confiding in me. Um, so so something you got to remember is all the uh, EVPs, with the exception of Tony Khan, have wrestled in Australia. 
Right. Yeah. The Young Bucks have the Young Bucks have been here a few times. Um, when was it? Matt broke his hand. Yep. And like, yeah, uh, they came here, uh, and Matt didn't wrestle, but Nick Jackson had like a couple of amazing matches here. Uh, him and Mad Dog had like one of the best hardcore brawls I've ever seen. Um, but so they've been here. Uh, Kenny Omega has come here with New Japan. Yeah. Uh, twice, I think. No, he was only here the first time. Um, but Kenny's been here. Cody's been here a bunch of times. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're they're familiar with the scene, but the where we are at now is largely the top tier talent in Australia do have some kind of association with a big company in America. Uh, Adam, uh, Adam Brooks, Adam Brooks, Slex, and Kellyanne are all currently under contract to Ring of Honor. And right. The reason they can't get over is because of uh, our government mandate. Uh, leaving Australia at the moment is incredibly difficult. Okay. Um, yeah. So the government actually needs to sign off on you leaving, and if you leave, you can't get back. So uh, that, kind of, that kind of put a hold on that kind of put a hold on a lot of that stuff. Uh, Held the work visa. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, Shazza McKenzie is a big one. Like, she's wrestled for both WWE and AEW. Um, like, she was in the the All Out Women's Battle Royal, the first one. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and uh, has done kind of NXT and stuff as well. They're they're definitely watching us, but the thing is, with America, what a lot of people don't realize is bringing talent in from overseas bureaucratically is a giant, giant pain in the balls. Like, the amount of... So you need to be sponsored by a company to bring you in. Uh, they mm-hmm. have to pay the government at least four figures, maybe five, I'm not sure, uh, yeah, really? and prove why they're hiring someone from outside of Australia instead of hiring an American. Holy shit. Wow. So basically, like... Uh... Kind of like how MLB is buying, like, like Otani, like in um, Otani plays my, for the I was Anaheim. To my wife about Otani, uh, plays for the Angels. Yep, uh, plays for the Angels. They literally have to buy him out and do this whole thing, the whole nine yards, just to get him to come to Anaheim, where they're not even in the playoffs. But that's a whole another thing. But uh, <laughs> different podcast. <laughs> I, I, I watched the. Uh, I watched the. Uh, was it the Rays and the Red Sox this morning? The Rays and the Red Sox. Yeah. Yeah, I watched most of that game today. But but yeah, it's just that, I think that's just crazy how that because I would think I would have thought like the world is smaller in the sense of the media. You would think it would be smaller in the sense of demand for these people because you would think the it would be a is there. Don't get me wrong, the demand. Oh is no no, there. I wouldn't say the it's demand, it. but I would say the 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 transactions would be easier because economically it would make sense for both countries. Take it up with your government. Bro. Fuck the mic. That's a whole... Uh, take it up with your government in America is a whole other thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but like, so, so to give you an indication, and um, I'll, I'll put him over because he's a mate, Bronson Reed, who is now Jonah Rock again, has a really good podcast called Jonah Drone. I don't know if you guys listen to it. But he goes into a bunch of details. He's been released by WWE. He -hmm. has a finite amount of time between his no-compete clause ending and him having to sign a contract that all this paperwork needs to be done or he has to come home. Yeah. Because he's not not an American citizen. 
Because he's not a citizen, yeah. yeah. So he's got his 90-day non-compete clause, and I think it's another 90 days. Like, I, I highly recommend going and listen to his podcast because he's smart as hell. But, yeah, like, and, and everything I just spoke about, they need to commit to being a sponsor. Uh, sometimes you have to leave the country. Um, do you know what I mean? You have to yeah. explain why so why? much bureaucratic yeah. bullshit that you have to go for go through being an international. Uh, same with the Iconics. Um, do you know what I mean? There's a reason they haven't rocked up in a wrestling company yet. Oh yeah, uh, and she it, she's getting married to an American, so one of them are getting married yeah, to an American, fine. so she's like, oh, uh, so so she's like, Cassie Lee it. is married to Sean Spears, yes, right, yeah. But that's the thing: Canadian and Australian living in America. Oh shit! Oh god! Oh, <laughs> See, and, that that drops Jesse, that mic drops all your shit. The scooter yeah, we're talking about Canadian and Jesse McKay's husband is Australian. So, they're like, they're there on a working visa. On oh, work visas. Okay. So now that that's gone, and, and same thing with uh, Buddy Murphy as well. I, I, like, I've seen him pop up on the independents and not the other two, which leads me to believe either he's got a contract somewhere or he just doesn't give a fuck. Um, it, could, it could be either way. Um, I, I yeah, could Buddy. be. I, you know, I broke in with Buddy, so I, I could say, yeah, you know, if, it's, if, he, doesn't, <laughs> if he doesn't care, that, that's not at the bottom of what it could be. Oh, but, but yeah, uh, gotcha. Yeah, so, like, the, that's kind of why it's so difficult for Australians to, to kind of come, and even, like, coming and doing the independence. So we have to lie to get into America to come and do Indies. Jesus. Man, yeah, I, I, we we have to come in on a tourist visa, not get caught. Um, JXT, uh, who is a wrestler here in Australia, he's done Impact, Game Changer. Uh, mm-hmm. He's uh, one of KM's good mates, so he does all the Alaska Pro shows, that kind of stuff. Right. Got pinned on his last American trip. Oh, oh man, and that's got the worst. In, got, and got put in jail for three days and oh. now can't go back to the US unless it's on a proper visa. Damn. Oh, man. Yeah, like I feel like that we need a wrestling version of this is life when it comes to like Australia wrestling, just international wrestling. Because I feel yeah, like there's so many different stories to it, but like to bring talent in here, you know, there, there's been times where we've tried to sneak them in on the wrong visa and they've gotten pinned. Uh, there's a actually, if you look it up, I think the episode's on YouTube. Chris Hero got pinned by Border Security as the PWG World Champion in like 2008. Um, oh, and, yeah. like, and, the t- <laughs> and he's on TV, uh, so it aired like nationally here, but um, yeah, it, it happens. Like, but to bring so bureaucratically to bring an international wrestler in outside of flights and accommodation, dropping almost a thousand dollars just on visas, that's crazy. And you know, it's not just Australia's role, we talk to a lot of uh, wrestlers from Canada as well. And you would yeah, think Canada. being yeah. literally right connected to the there. United States that they would it would be easy for them to come over to America. It's probably so ma- the hardest for them. There's I feel so like many the exception to Mexico. My, uh, well, no. So, like, look, Mike Bailey banned from the U.S. Yes. Uh, yep. I think that's up soon, but I think it was a five-year ban. We're coming up on but, it, yeah. But, yeah, uh... Dark Order, Evil Uno and Stu Grayson, five-year ban. The only reason they can wrestle in America now is because AEW gave them a job. Mm. I, I did not know um, 
Yeah, because uh, they yeah. got pinned at the border. They got pinned at the border uh, doing PWG, I think it was, and then fucking like, PWG. It's like the <laughs> Illuminati of wrestling in but California. But like they were, like they a... were, they were like ready to win the tag belts at that time and got pinned, and then out you go. Uh, Cicope and Miedo Extremo from Mexico, same yep. thing. Yeah, like there are other Mexican wrestlers who can come in from Mexico, but for whatever reason, Sicope and Miedo got pinned. I don't know if it was the same thing. I think it was just really difficult to get them on a visa. Which is weird they... for Miedo, though. Hella weird for Miedo. Yeah, well, I like I don't I don't know because like Crazy King can still come, and Pagano, yeah. and like I look if I had to Bro. think it was one thing. It would be if you work for AAA. I assume AAA have an American. I'm, I'm Benny is AAA because AAA because and it's funny you brought up AAA because AAA runs they have it they run TV here on um, Time Warner Sports, which is yeah. uh, the LA market for like the Lakers and the Dodgers and so on. So, so it, that makes sense. That yeah. makes so if you sense. work for AAA, there's probably some kind of workaround that mm-hmm. you can come in for them and do and, it. And, yep. Yeah, but if you're just an independent, same thing. You got to pretend not to be a wrestler and not get caught. I'm here to see the the Alamo. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah I, hey, I can we see, take like, your boot? Why do you have tights, a mask, and forty thousand fucking t-shirts in the trunk of your car? I'm I'm here to lay them at the feet of MLK's groom tombstone. Like I I, I can't just see. <laughs> it's like when I, when I came to the, when I came to the US in 2013 I did a random independent in Maine and Rene Dupree was the headliner and he had to wear his trunks his underwear and his wrestling boots on his feet Damn. to sneak in from Canada without a visa to do a show 20 kilometer what like 15 miles from the border <laughs> Jesus Christ yeah cause fucking yeah oh, what the fuck is that called yeah Homeless kitty don't play that shit. Yeah, they don't. Do you think yeah, we, they like, don't. there's just a red rope all around the border of the United States? No, nah, I think it's just a red rope around wrestling. Because when you coming up, coming as an employee, I'm pretty sure Americans are trying to get the taxes, and I'm pretty sure that the international like governments are trying to get the taxes for that because right. it. Same, because they don't do that to, like, students, because they're not going to get paid off of it. It's well, basically students like come in on a student visa. Yeah, they come in on a student visa, so uh, essentially it's just a net-net. Americans kind of get the, the money that those if people are paying in, and the government are getting in. It's because it's not taxable income. Right. That's, that's, what, that's what it boils down to. It's down if to, we, yeah. If we come in, earn money, and fuck off without paying taxes... We're taking money out of the economy. Pretty much. Yeah. That's why they want us to come in on a working visa. Getting an American working visa just happens to be really difficult. In Australia, not so hard. UK, not so hard. Japan, a huge pain in the ass. Japan is the same. Like, Japan is just as hard as the US to go in on a working visa. And less and less companies will let you wrestle without a working visa in Japan Mm -hmm. as well. Um, Yeah. But that, that's just what it boils down to. So I, I sit there and go, ah, oh, it fucking sucks. Because, again, like, we didn't grow up watching Australian wrestling on TV. We grew up watching American wrestling on TV. So all any of us want to do when we decide we want to be wrestlers, it's not, I want to headline Festival Hall, which is like our big building here. 
It's oh. I want to go and wrestle in America. WWE, yeah. Right. I feel like, and I feel like I'm random myself here. Wouldn't the workaround be like agriculture? Because the problem, because it's one big thing that known in America, people that are working in agriculture is basically cash, cash on hand. So it's no, there's no taxes anyway. And especially like, because I'm in San Diego by the border. So a lot of people actually come over here to work in strawberry fields, which are not too far in Carlsbad, picking strawberries and grapes and so on and so forth in agriculture. So, but they also do it for cash because of the simple fact that it's not traceable. Yeah, exactly. It's not a workaround. That's the exact same problem. <laughs> I wish I, I wish uh, Australians could just go. Yeah, I'm here to pick grapes. <laughs> yeah, and they'd be like, "Where's your fucking working visa? I don't have one." Or get the fuck out. <laughs> I mean, but I see my I see my homies come from the border and they ain't got no visas and they just go straight. Exactly. And if and if Homeland Security turn up and go, "Where are your fucking papers?" They get bounced over that border like a fucking slinky. <laughs> Let's, uh... Hey, I tried. Can't say I didn't try. Just, as much just, as I love just... political podcasts, let's not turn this into a political podcast. Let's talk about wrestling. Yeah, let's, let's get keep back it to the what we came here to talk about. The the match between Lobo and Mad Dog. Um, first and foremost, and the importance of that match, where would you rank that in Australia history? Top five? Top, no, top, top five? Top one. Top ten? Top ten, big time. Like there there were other there's been other big matches, I guess, kind of in the in the last twenty years that have kind of put quote unquote Australia on the quote unquote map. Fuck you, Tommy Dreamer. But um <laughs> for a number of things. But he came here, he he went publicly and said, I put Australia on the map and all of us who have been here for twenty years went uh, the fuck you talking about. Uh, <laughs> I single handedly found Australia. Yeah, so fuck Tommy Dreamer for any number of reasons. Pick your favorite. But, um, like, Will Ospreay and Adam Brooks, when they had their first match here, okay. um, that, that put Adam Brooks and MCW on the map, you know what I mean? Um, everyone went, holy fuck, what a match. Uh, Okada came here. Like, Okada doesn't do independent bookings. Uh, but MCW had their um, – had a working agreement at the time with New Japan – and uh, we got Sen Okada for a random show. And he wrestled Slex. And, and you know, everyone went, what the fuck? Okada's doing independence? Um, yeah, so, like, that put us on the map. Uh, a lot of the stuff that goes on in Queensland, uh, sorry, in Sydney, like uh, Aussie Open have amazing tag matches there. And um, Lightspeed Express and the Velocities, like the Velocities wrestle at PWG now. Um, well, they did before the fucking pandemic anyway. But... You, you know, like, we're, we're wrestling super progressively. We're now no longer, and not for 10 years or so, since we started to see kind of that first influx of Australians going to, you know, national wrestling companies, have we just been looking at what it means for Australian wrestling history? Because now we are playing on the world stage. Where up until, yeah, kind of that 2012, 2013 point, it was very much what just happens here at home. Okay. And, and this is maybe the uh, first time, like, this match will be public for people to see. Um, we, we are, we're releasing it. So 
um, people from America, hopefully uh, in Australia, all over the world will be seeing this match either for the first time in 19 years or for the first time ever. Um, yeah. What's, uh, uh, from your personal opinion, what should people take away from this match and what we've been talking about? Everything that we've been talking about in terms of how isolated Australia is, we have been able to develop an industry, a style, and a personality that is uniquely Australian without the influence of your major wrestling markets. Yes, we watch them on tape, but in terms of how we interact with an audience, uh, how we structure things, uh, how we promote things, we are a territory now, like Japan is a territory, or Mexico, Puerto Rico, the UK, Europe, etc., Canada. We aren't. We we know what we're doing, and we've known what we're doing. Whether we knew what we were doing, we've had it figured out for a long, long time. This match happened. 19 years ago and it stands up against most no rope barbed wire matches ever not for the time period or in australia whatever prerequisite you want to put on it it's one of the best no rope barbed wires of all time that's a dave Meltzer, by the way sorry <laughs> that's a that's the Dave Meltzer, because he always be like 18 stars in the Tokyo Dome. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Whatever prerequisite you want to put on it, it still holds up today. So imagine what we thought at the time. Uh, and you can go and what I have. I've gone and watched the No Rope Barbed Wires from this time, from like XPW and CZW and stuff, and they went far and beyond 20 years ago. So if you're going to take anything away from it, one... Australian deathmatch wrestling is pretty fucking good. That's why I have a deathmatch company. Two, Australian wrestling is pretty fucking good and really easy to sort out because we don't have, you know, like there's a couple of companies on Fight TV, like PWA and PCW are on Fight. Yeah. Um, MCW have their own streaming service. Uh, and then the rest of us put stuff on YouTube. Like I'm a uh, PW, DMDU, sorry. Mm-hmm. Not my not my old company from ten years ago. DMDU <laughs> are on IWTV. PWA Australia have uploaded some stuff to IWTV, uh, and I know there are other companies trying to get on these platforms as well. Australian wrestling is at your fingertips if you want to see something different, because we are still, you know, Buddy Murphy was doing the gimmick of the best kept secret. We are still the world's best kept secret when it comes to professional wrestling. We are performing at a worldwide elite level. Just no one sees it. All right. Um, because Dave Meltzer doesn't say anything. Fuck Dave Meltzer. But that's all done. Well, like... He, Will Ospreay see? had a match here. No, it's because, and you'll see why in a second. Will Ospreay had a match here at the beginning of 2020 against someone who got done during speaking out, which is why I don't want to say his name. Mm-hmm. Meltzer reviewed it and gave it, I think, four and a half stars. Mm-hmm. Like when it happened at the beginning of 2020, everyone went, that's going to be towards match of the year at the end of the year. It was an incredible match. Fuck that guy. But the, the, wrestler, <laughs> who, uh, the wrestler who I'm not going to say the name of, he doesn't deserve to be made famous. But 
um, we are playing on that level. Like, it was a elite level match. We can do it. And it wasn't just Will Ospreay. You right. know what I mean? We hold up our end of the bargain, too. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Now, uh, before we finish things up here, it's, I have to ask you one last question. The main event, the thing everybody wants to know. Since the last time we spoke, have you ever had a conversation with a stranger in a supermarket about Darby Allen? No, can't say that I have. And that is the correct answer. <laughs> thank, thank, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and doing this with us. Uh, this was incredible, and we got a really great insight on Australian wrestling and what it's been, what is, and where we want it to go. I must say, this has been the most informative podcast <laughs> I have been on in my life. And that is like top notch. Cause to me, it's all about learning perspectives. And I would think like, because to me, I, I see wrestling as hip hop in a sense where it's so global. You would think that it's, it's like universal borderless, but to see that it's still, bureaucracy and everything like that it just breaks my heart because it's like a lot of people are being shunned out from doing what they love because of other people just trying to get a dollar and that is what really freaking sucks to me the most now uh joel where can we find you on social media that match down under merchandise the whole subbang everything we need to know so I help run a little wrestling company called Deathmatch Down Under. We are Australia's premier deathmatch company. I'm confident saying that because there's only like three of us. Um, DM Down Under on Twitter, Deathmatch Down Under on Instagram. Please give us a follow. Um, by the time this airs, in four days, we will have the first deathmatch tournament in Australia. Uh, you were talking about hip-hop. Our deathmatch tournament is called Death Rules Everything Around Me. Dream get the money um so dream takes place on november the 20th peer pressure from dead people takes place on the 27th and then our final show for 2021 uh through the fire and the flames on expert takes place in ballarat on the 4th of december you can find me on social media at the smash underscore hit on all platforms all i really post about is my wife my dog wrestling and swearing um, my merchandise and DMDU's merchandise can be found at deathmatchworldwide.com. Uh, we have all of our shirts uploaded there. Please support us if you've got uh, a couple of spare bucks. As you've heard, we haven't been able to run a show in three months. It'll be four by the time this goes out. And, you know, every little bit helps to keep the lights on and to, to allow us to continue to put on uh, professional wrestling events. Thank you guys so much for having me. This is always an absolute blast. Oh, absolutely. And You're a fucking idiot. But um, if you if you haven't signed up for IWTV and you want to go and check out some excellent wrestling, when I get off this, I'm going to go and watch that Wheeler Yuta Alex Shelley match from earlier today. Um, use the code DMDU. Um, it shows that we have a voice internationally uh, and kicks back to us a little bit. Uh, it doesn't cost you any extra money to use that code, but uh, it makes IWTV and us very happy. 
I mean, that was like the best um, endorsement of YWTV ever. If you don't have it, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, if you don't have it, like, it's, yeah. That's, that's yeah, well, like, I sit there and go, I feel like watching some wrestling. And it's like, I'll go through YouTube or I'll go to IWTV and go, oh, you know, I want to see what A-Steel matches there are. And I'll type in A-Steel and find, you know, a million matches. I'll type in, like, Supreme or, I don't know, who's a... Who's a uh, Trying to think who's a West Coast indie guy. Look, all the APW King of the Indies are on I- IWTV. Need I say more? Jacob Fatu, for the most part. The the biggest guy on the West Coast right now. Yeah, I but I don't want a big... Jacob Fatu. Look, go and watch all the Michael Modest and Donovan Morgan matches on IWTV. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, find that match down under on uh, IWTV. Um You've been listening to him for an hour and a half. By a damn sort, you have no excuse. It's in the description of the video below, both on YouTube and Castbox. Just click it. You'll be in. You'll be on the page. Buy it. And if you're in the area, you better get a damn ticket. They do Absolutely. sell out real buddy quick. So and we must be doing something right if we're selling it all that shows. If you like what we're doing, please like, subscribe, comment, put on YouTube and CastBox. Um, of course, this episode was sponsored by um, Rogue Energy. Use promo code Wrestling E for 10% off your next purchase. Join us for the rest of the week as we um, we had a uh, watch along with the runway of their Fascinista uh, street fight that you do not want to miss. Um, an interview on Wednesday that is not yet confirmed. Um, and uh, a more watch-alongs, a trivia night, and uh, a watch-along of both our SummerSlam and Survivor Series tournaments. So it should be uh, a fun weekend. Of course, on um, Sunday, Survivor Series, only on the remix, live alternative commentary, um, best on the net, only on the net, on the uh, UNBS network with Scooter Dust and myself. And, of course, you can find the show at um, Wrestling with E, both on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me at JamesJ993. Where can they find Coleco? I mean, you can find me with Joel. I might be trying to have him do an international wrestling encyclopedia at <laughs> I am Coleco. <laughs> and, of course, you can find Scooter at Scooter Dust. Uh, when... Now, uh, Joel, when I say wrestling wit, you say entertainment. Alright. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting. (laughs) For our very special guests, Joel Bigman, Scooter Dust, Coleco Yachts, and James J. And this has been Wrestling Wit. Entertainment. Hey guys, this is Brutal Bob Evans from Hangs with Bob Seminars and TheWrestleLife.com, and you are listening to Wrestling with Entertainment, one of my favorite podcasts in the whole wide world. Hey folks, this is the Colossal Mike Law, and you are listening to Wrestling with Entertainment. Enjoy the show, support these guys, we appreciate it very much. We'll see you at ringside.